Well, it's just one thing after another these days, isn't it? Uh, hey, folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel for going on twelve years now. Um, we started this, yeah, over a decade ago, and it's still going. There have been some changes over the years. Um, it used to be weekly, which was a lot of work, uh, but now two, two or three a month feels very doable to me uh, with my schedule. Um, so some bad news this week, uh, which is really disappointing to me um, because I love doing this show, uh, but the, the network has canceled us. Um, it was quite a blow um, because I love meeting new writers and I love having these conversations with writers and I don't know a way to do that outside of this show. So here's the thing. We're going to keep doing the show. Um, we're, we're going to find a new way to do the show, a new way to deliver it to you, hopefully in this same podcast feed. Um, that is the goal. I'm talking to a couple of other networks, but honestly, like, despite being a kind of institution at this point, uh, they're, it's a pretty niche show. It's, it's, you know, the audience is passionate, but not enormous. Um, and I love this audience. Like I love hearing from having writers on who listen to the show in their car on the way to their first jobs, uh, and who are now, you know, show creators or upper level writers. Like that's really satisfying. That's really flattering. Uh, I feel like we're doing something here or something valuable. I know it is to me. Um, and I think it is to many of you that I, I'm lucky enough to hear from on Twitter and for as long as that lasts. And, uh, but more so on, on the Substack, on the newsletter, benblacker.substack.com. Um, anyway, the goal is to keep going. Um, do a bunch of episodes every month, meet new writers, talk to new writers, talk about the craft and business. Um, I hope to keep it in this podcast feed what you should do is subscribe to the newsletter so that you learn of any changes. Um, again, that's benblacker.substack.com. And honestly, I think the newsletter is worth it. I think I think I'm doing some good writing there. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I've loved meeting people who subscribe and interacting with those folks in our monthly Q and A sessions that we have with professional writers. Uh, we're doing a get together in March. So by the time you hear this, it will have happened. And it was great. Um, so please go, go subscribe to the newsletter. Um, I, I do think that's likely where the podcast will end up living. Um, but this thing costs money and, and I'd really like to keep working with my engineer, Jordan Katz, who, who does great work on it. It's, you know, it's, a it's, a markedly better sounding show since he came on board a few years ago. Um, so we're trying to figure out a way that, that Jordan can keep working on it and I can, we can keep getting him paid. Um, but we'll see, you know, it's, it's growing pains and it's different to the situation, you know, however many years ago, five, six years ago, uh, when we left Nerdist and joined Forever Dog because Nerdist just stopped doing podcasts. <laughs> it was not, personal and this feels personal 
but it's hard not to, right? I mean, this comes up on the podcast a lot. This is an industry of disappointment and podcasts are now very similar to TV in that way. It used to be you could just put something up and people would listen, but now there are a million podcasts and they're getting millions of listeners um, and people who are very famous have them. And, you know, I, I don't have that platform. Um, but I still think we're doing something good. Uh, I still believe in the show. So I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep bringing it to you. Um, so please keep subscribing. Bear with some, you know, I think it'll be a couple months of some some different kinds of episodes. I'm going to do some more one-on-one episodes like you'll hear in the next uh, few we- weeks uh, and probably months um, because I have a hunch I'm going to start putting those together myself uh, to give Jordan uh, a little break until we can figure out how to bring him back in. Um, also, I, I've been really enjoying these one-on-one episodes. I feel like we can get more specific on shows and movies uh, that the folks have worked on. So you'll, you will be hearing some of that stuff. And, and I think there's different information and advice to be gleaned from those um, that I think is valuable. Um, yeah, hopefully it'll sound as good as it has in the past few years. Um, but again, bear with me. Uh, hopefully we're going to be entering a new era of the Writers Panel podcast. And uh, it'll be bigger and better than it's ever been. Or exactly the same as it's ever been <laughs> consistently of a quality that uh, I am not ashamed of. Um, I don't know. Listen, it's the strangest time. I'm sure I'll record another intro uh, in a couple of months talking about what's going on in the industry when we have a better idea of what's going on in the industry. But for now, um, let's let's keep our heads up, but also keep our heads down doing the work. Um, let's keep our hopes up and and trust in our leadership that, you know, we're going to get the best thing for us as a whole. Um, I have to believe that. And I do believe that. Uh, I think these are smart people who are in the negotiations now. Um, and I think they are, they have a pretty clear view of what it's like on the ground for most of us. Anyway, more of that, I'm sure, to come. Um, in the meantime, please uh, subscribe to the Substack, benblacker.substack.com. Uh, I do think it's worth your while. I think, you know, what I'm trying to do there is distill a lot of the ideas and advice that come through on the writer's panel for these past 12 years. Um, we're also offering a lot of other fun stuff. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll see you there. Uh, and for now, I'm still on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. Follow me there uh, for updates and so forth. And also fun jokes. It's still okay over there if you limit... <laughs> who you're following for the most part. All right. That's it for now. Uh, thank you as always for listening. Thank you for sticking with me um, in these annoying next few months. Uh, I really do appreciate it. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker. And it's starting now. Oh, yeah. And this is how a podcast starts. We're doing it.
Uh, <laughs> I've got Jingyi Chow here. Uh, Jing is the writer director of Chang Can Dunk, which is out on Disney Plus right now, and is great. Congrats, man! Thank you so much, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, tell, listen, let's get the easy stuff out of the way. Uh, let's talk about this movie and how it came to be. I'm sure you've told this dozens of times already in the past few months. Uh, so you you've got your pat story down. So give us the short version, and then we'll sort of dig in. Uh, well, Chang and Dunk is kind of a throwback. It's inspired by um, the 90s sports comedy films that I grew up with, like, you know, uh, Mighty Ducks, Little Giants, Karate Kid, et cetera, et cetera. It's got a lot of John Hughes in it. And basically, it's about this uh, classic underdog. He's a little bit of a dork and he's trying to level up. He's trying to be a lot cooler in school. And the way he finds to do that is by betting the high school bully that he can dunk by homecoming. And of course, you know, there's a beautiful new girl at school and there's some family drama involved as well. Yeah, it's that stuff. I mean, look, this is what makes movies good, right? Like it's about this thing. It's about a kid who says he can dunk and he has to Mm -hmm. do it by a certain time. Um, But it's that other stuff that you put in that makes movies great. It's, you know, the personal stories. Um, where did this come from for you other than your love of 90s sports movies? You know, um, I, I've been asked this question many times. I think that uh, I want to reveal a deeper reason on this podcast exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> I really think that this film is about is like a sort of subconscious expression of my journey to make a movie. So the dunk represents, I mean, it's crazy because I feel like, you know, I feel like what, everything that happened in this movie is is a, is a moment in my filmmaking career. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's a crazy thing to think that you can go to Los Angeles and pitch an original concept and get a studio to buy into it and then make it when, you know, you're a first time writer and director. There's so many there's so many fears that you have to face, you know, as uh, as an Asian American, there's not a lot of examples of you doing it until basically the last four years, you know, uh, so you have to overcome that. Um, there's also like, does your family support you? Do you have the financial uh, capability to sustain yourself at all? And um, that just leads to a lot of doubt, you know, and uh, I think I just somehow sublimated it into this story about a short kid who wants to dunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're playing the metaphor, right? Um, and I would imagine that's the part that came first, but correct me if I'm wrong, was this is a good idea for a story, this short kid who wants to dunk. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the first image I had was um, the scene where Chang is trying to dunk in the snow. And he wasn't even Chang at that point. He was just some kid trying to dunk in the snow and he just wouldn't quit but he also wasn't getting any closer. And uh, I don't know how I came, I don't remember how exactly that came up to me, but I just remember thinking of that and it just really, really resonated with me. And I was like, dunking is such a, it's such a silly thing. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a small thing, you know, but at the same time, this kid really, really cares about it. And because of that, I want to know what this kid's story is. Why is dunking so important to this kid? And then I just started to build the story around him um, obviously inspired by, you know, my own story. But at the time, I realized it was actually the story of a lot of my peers. You know, a lot of a lot of people my age, 
um, frankly, of every age. Uh, and I, I realized that it was a metaphor that could really resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the specificity of it makes you buy in. I mean, there's something about dunking specifically. He doesn't say, I want to become the world's greatest back basketball player or even the school's greatest basketball player. It's he wants to dunk. He says he can dunk. Um, yeah. And so we're rooting for that specific action. I think it's a really smart way to do it. So once you have that image and once you start asking yourself, like, what is this kid's story? What is the what does the process look like for you? What is the day to day putting ideas together and then sitting down uh, at the computer or, or notepad look like? Um, wow. You know, I had that image for years before mm -hmm. I actually put down any words or put together an outline or anything. Um, uh, the, the, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was like, who is going to buy a script about a kid trying to dunk, you know, because we live in a world where it's like a very IP driven, big ideas, you know, and I was like, this is the, the smallest of the small movies. You know what I'm saying? And so it wasn't until I had another project uh, that was based on an article. Very, very cool. Um, and I had a deal with uh, two companies. called uh, One's called Make Ready and the other's called Hillman Grad. And they're like two producers that have supported me for a long time. And um, I was supposed to write and direct this film called Arab Spring Break. And that fell through. Um, but, you know, they really, really believed in me and supported me. So they were like, we'll give you a blind deal, which is which is for for an up and coming writer, which is the ultimate privilege. And basically, I pitched them a bunch of ideas. And somehow the smallest one, this idea about a kid trying to dunk was the one that really resonated. And um, well, let me let me stop you there for a sec. What do you yeah. think it was about that that resonated with them? And And what did you pitch them? Just just the kernel of the idea? Just the kernel of the idea. Uh, I mean, I, I think I at that point, because I had to pitch it, I thought about sort of like, what is the emotional core? And um, one of the producers, Rishi Rajani, really took to the idea of it having this sort of like dynamic about identity, about, you know, breaking stereotypes, about what it is to level up, what it is to believe in yourself. Um, you know, he and I have a similar background. We grew up in, you know, neighborhoods that were predominantly white, where we were the only Asian Americans. Um, we also had sort of tenuous relationships with our parents in high school. And so I think he he just really took to it as a representation of his own journey, you know. Um, uh, also, the, the, the protagonist is Asian American male in a YA space. And he, we, we really, I mean, we were actually right, trying to write down movies that have that. And we really, I think you can count on one hand, you know, I would challenge your audience to think of some. Um, uh, and so uh, I think there's, Rishi really, really supported it. And then when I pitched it to Brad Weston, who's head of Make Ready, he really loved it because he loves those 90s movies that had, that that were smaller and but had more heart. You know, people are always talking about like movies that they don't make movies like they used to, you know, and we really kind of were like, let's, let's make a movie like they used to, so to speak, but also bring it into today. Um, that's so interesting. I, I, like, I wonder, is there a conversation you have to have at a certain point with Make Ready with Hillman Grad about like, is there even a place for this anymore? Because you're right, they don't make these sort of smaller budget personal story movies, even with a great hook like this has. Uh, I mean, to 
To Rishi and, and Brad's credit, I think that uh, what matters to them most is story. Um, I had delivered, you know, other projects, you know, I, I'd worked in one of Hill and Grad's writer's rooms and I had, uh, I had taken a pitch with Brad out, uh, basically my first pilot action, we had sold it to HBO. So they knew that like my, my work, uh, resonated with, you know, executives. Um, but at the same time for, for both of them, it wasn't that big of a bet, you know, um, and I guess they're, they were like, this is a great piece of material. They believed in me and they were like, why not just take it out? You know? And, um, and uh, in, in a lot of ways, our fears proved true because we had the worst, we had the worst nightmare for a writer, which is your work gets out there. People love it. But when it gets up to the higher ups, they're like, unfortunately, I don't think we have space for this. And that was the case. I mean, if you read the original script the original draft which is out there because the original draft is what got on the blacklist um uh you'll see that i wrote it for netflix it's a little edgier it's a little more teen you know what i'm saying like there's underage drinking in it you know chang goes to a strip club at one point <laughs> <laughs> that's not chang that's not yeah. our chang <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different chang uh um but you know, uh, when it got to Netflix and it got to Amazon, uh, people really responded to it, but it, it they, they felt like it was too small. And ultimately, it was the biggest media corporation that was like, "Oh, that's uh, this is interesting. This this feels like a Disney film." And um, I have to say, once Disney was interested in it, the more I thought about it, I was like, "Wow," because uh, I really didn't think of the Mighty Ducks and the Little Giants until they said that, and I'm like, "Oh man, this actually is." you know, one of those films. That's funny. Sure. You're, you're thinking of it in like the headspace you were when you wrote it, which is like you say, a little older, a little, a little more, a little more Netflix, right. A little more risque. Yeah. Um, so once I want to back up a little bit, once you're given the go ahead by uh, Grad and, and make ready, mm. then you've got to write it. Mm -hmm. Yes. What, what does that look like for you? What's your process? I am, I am a big outliner. I really believe in, uh, I really believe in structuring a, um, a script. Um, although I have to say that before you structure the script, you need to kind of, for me, you, you, I already have some big set pieces and images and they all sort of connect with some sort of emotional tie in. I know which scenes are really going, are really important to me and are really going to hit. You know, so what um, what was that in Chang? What were what were those early set pieces that you had in mind? Well, the dunking in the snow for sure. Um, I I think what really helped me get ready for the outline was the mother and son relationship. The mother and son relationship was was super was that was the emotional core. It was actually originally going to be a father and son story. And the tone was going to be more like a rebel without a cause. Like, like Chang was going to be a lot more self-aware and cool. Um, but it wasn't until I found that emotional truth, looking back at my own life and sort of my own difficulties, struggles with my mom in high school, that um, I found that emotional core. And once I knew sort of what their relationship arc was going to be, then I could kind of see what Chang's relationship arc could be, which then led me to make some some cool discoveries over the course of it. Because, you know, when you do have a simple, the problem with when you do have a very clear premise, like kid wants to dunk, right? The structure kind of very quickly reveals itself, even to a non-writer. 
Um, but because thematically it was tied more in their the mother and son relationship, it allowed me to sort of break that those expectations, you know, especially at the midpoint. That was something I wanted to ask about because you would expect the third act, right, to be the dunk. You're leading up to this. That's going to be the climax of your movie, but actually that comes at the midpoint in Chang and Dunk. And was that something that once you hooked on to the mother-son relationship that that sort of fell into place? Or did you, you know, like, did you hang on to that idea of the climax being the attempt to dunk? I, it was kind of, it was several things sort of falling into place at the same time. I mean, I was like, for the, for the longest time, I was like, okay, he needs to, there needs to be some lead up to the dunk. It makes most sense that the climactic moment would be actually him confronting Matt and then him dunking. Um, but at the same time, I was like, that is so expected that this middle part needs to be so surprising. Otherwise, you know, otherwise it's going to, it's very hard to break that sort of sports film cliche. Um, and uh, I think it was just really being uh, honest with myself of where this film was coming from. And for me, the there was this long-standing theme of like um wanting of like uh what's the word getting uh uh doing things for others you know where you're you're not really dunking for yourself you're you're dunking in order for other people to sort of respect you finally you know and then suddenly those the step the difference between that was really really interesting because i think a lot of people would would rather have someone believe that they, they're great and do something great than actually have it for themselves. Um, and I thought that was just very powerful, especially for a younger audience. You know, and once I had that, I was like, oh, okay, now I know how to turn these expectations into a midpoint, you know, classic midpoint false victory, where the hero gets what they think they want using the sort of tools that they always had. Um, but not really learning the lesson. And then that victory being sort of the the, the the start point, really, of their confronting their own, you know, uh, problems. Yeah, I, I think that's really smart. And it it confounds audience expectations a little bit in, in a great way. It gives us a much more emotional story. Um, it's interesting to hear you talk about writing because you're you're hitting on a lot of the sort of uh, technical things we talk about when we talk about writing, uh, things like the midpoint escalation and things like set pieces. What is your, what's your background? You know, are you, did you go to film school? Did you take classes? I know you worked in the field in, uh, you know, in directing for a while, but what's your writing background? Um, so I, uh, I didn't go to film school for undergrad. I, I did go for graduate school, but I studied production. So I started predominantly producing and directing. Um, and then and was I that started, always the target for you? Sorry to interrupt, but uh, yeah, I, I, I always thought of, I always wanted to be a director. Yes. Um, and uh, I think that, well, after grad school, I, I spent a number of years in Asia being commercial director, um, which, which influenced my filmmaking in a big way. Um, and then when I came back, I kind of realized that uh, writing was the way that I really wanted to grow as a filmmaker. And um, writing was the space that I actually feel I'm most comfortable in, you know, from a from a total filmmaking like perspective. It, you know, if you watch my film, I think that like 
the strongest thing that I brought to it was probably the writing. Um, and so, you know, I'm in a lot of ways, I'm like, you know, classically film trained, uh, film school trained writer. Um, and I also learned a, a lot of writing in like the writer's rooms and stuff that I've been in as well. Yeah. You can't help but learn structure and learn the importance of outlining and all that stuff when you are working in writer's rooms, when you're making short films and commercials and stuff like that. Like you have to do so much presenting of information to other people. It, it only makes sense. For sure. For sure. I think that like, I think, you know, looking back, I think my my psychology background also really helped. How so? Uh, you know, I I see uh, my screenwriting really jumped when I experienced some sort of like personal issues, dilemmas in my own life. And um, they really helped me. Uh, they really helped me see that, uh, at least in my opinion, that like three act structure is, it, I don't really see it anymore as sort of like screenwriting guidelines. I almost see it as sort of like neuroscience where it's like the way our brain takes experiences and information and emotional moments and changes our perspective on life um it's the way our brain works and so when you tell a story in that format it really really resonates powerfully not that you can't break those expectations with some interesting experimentation but i do think that there is something very very deeply powerful about like for example the hero's journey or like classic you know three-act structure what have you yeah. i think you're absolutely right there's there's i don't want to say comfort because i think that even undersells it but it's it's something about the expectations to how we want to experience stories in with the classic beginning, middle and end. Right. Um, I think that's really interesting. I, w I wanted to pick up on something you mentioned. Um, and listen, we've known each other for 20 minutes now. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's going great. Uh, hitting on this idea of the mother son story and making it personal was the writing cathartic for you. <clears throat> uh I think I think definitely so. I think um it definitely helped. It definitely pushed. I mean, I'm so thankful for writing because writing has definitely made uh has definitely helped me in my own life and you know, just become a better person and help me understand, you know, my past and 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 how to deal with situations in the future. Um yeah, I mean, realizing that my mom had affected me in such deep ways by exploring this script really forced me to confront sort of like the challenges in our relationship and helped me get to know her better yeah which led to i think you know forgiveness but also the desire to get closer and and try to understand her a lot better so uh i i don't think you know i i think about like people who don't have the privilege to do this and get paid for it. <laughs> you know, it's like kind of like a self-therapy in a way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I Was it difficult to then cast that part? Because I forget the actress's name, but she was so good. And like, it felt so lived in, uh, so perfect. But tell me about that casting process. I'm so curious. Uh, I mean, uh, you, you know, I, I think that like when, when I'm casting, I let the actor sort of take the role for themselves. I let them bring who they are and I try to, to, to mix the best, try to put the best crew together, so to speak. And so I think I do my best to create real characters on the page, but um, I found that when I constrict them too much, they, 
it actually works against the film and what I'm trying to do. So, uh, you know, there was, there were some things that I really needed the mom to do. Um, I, it feels very, very inauthentic to me when, uh, people who aren't immigrants are cast as first generation immigrants, like people who grew up here playing. It's very, very hard for an actress that grew up here who was raised by a Chen to then play a Chen because they bring a lot of baggage to it. You know what I'm saying? Really, really hard. And then there's like the matters of the language and the accent and like, you know, in, in a lot of uh, American media that I've seen, that first generation character, it just doesn't come off as authentic because a person who who was raised in America versus a person who grew up like in, you know, 1950s, 1960s China, like my mom did, is just fundamentally different down to every single gesture, I like look, et cetera, et cetera. So I really wanted to find someone who who was at least born in uh, in China and could speak Chinese natively. Um, and who was an immigrant. And that, you know, narrows your field down to a very, very small degree. And, um, you know, credit to Marty, she didn't come in until until very, very late. She, We actually had cast two actresses before her, but because of certain circumstances, we eventually landed on Marty. So she actually came and saved the day. And and she's really so good in it. I mean, the whole cast really is. Um, and, and I feel like that must have been a difficult part for you, you know, after having lived with these characters in your head and also having it be personal, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like I was saying earlier, like there's not a lot of like Asian American male YA stories out there. And uh, when that happens, there's an onus on you to represent properly, you know, and not make us look bad. I mean, like if you talk to any Asian American guy, Every time an Asian American male figure shows up on screen, we we like preemptively kind of like clench because like 90 percent of the time it's a joke or he gets clowned on or et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm fighting that when I'm casting this and I can't cast the wrong person. And this is not a you know, this is not like a uh, a gritty indie. This is a Disney film. So you can really cast that character. And he's also kind of a he's also kind of a dork and a loser. And so to cast that main character was really, really hard because you need someone who can embody that underdog mentality, but also have that underlying sort of charisma, that star power that is going to keep an audience engaged, especially one that's so sensitive, you know, um, to, you know, past depictions. So, uh, yeah, it was it was really hard. And, and without him, uh, you know, when you're casting a, a high school show, the, the lead gets cast first. And it's really hard for you to cast around that person because the age range can fluctuate so much. If you're casting a show like Euphoria, you can cast someone you're like that looks a little bit older, but then your whole high school needs to be older. You know what I'm saying? I didn't really think about that when I first wrote this, but like, but you know, cause so like we had, you know, we had, uh, we had Changs who were like 19 straight out of high school. And then we had Changs who were older and, um, until we picked one, we couldn't cast anybody else. So basically we locked in Bloom and then everyone fell in after him. And and I mean it's like I said, like it's a terrific cast. They sell the thing. They all feel they all feel so real. And I feel like and and you touched on this a moment ago, but like there's this conversation that I imagine you have to have with yourself as a writer, even more so as a director, between, you know, thinking about truth and authenticity and honesty 
you know, like being beholden to these different things and how much give and take there is, you know, it accuracy, like it's still a movie, right? It's still a constructed thing. And you want to elicit certain emotions and you want it, but you also want to get certain kinds of performances. So I'm curious about balancing all of that. It's really a tone question. Yeah. Um, man, that was that was something that made me second guess myself a lot because I never set out to make a Disney film. And frankly, I don't really know what a Disney film exactly is. And so I just try to make a story that, you know, was authentic to me and that I would want to watch. Like, I think in like a lot of like sort of inspiring sports stories, the ones that work, you really believe that what is happening is happening. And so I, uh, you know, I, I try to bring as much authenticity to like what Chang is doing and going through so that some kid, the most cynical kid out there watching this has all their questions answered. I don't know if that makes sense. You you know what I'm saying? Like, like I like you know like uh, I read the comments. <laughs> I read the comments online. Some of these some of these commenters on YouTube are very very smart. They notice all these little things, you know. And and I wanted to make sure that as you see Chang training to dunk, those questions are being answered. Um, and I did my best. And I did my best with that. And um, I did a lot of research. I mean, you know the the workout routines and uh, the things that happen are all inspired by things I observed. And, and those are also some of the most fun parts of the movie. Like that feels like the candy too. Like even as you're setting out to answer questions, like you're creating these dynamic sequences that we get to enjoy. I mean, uh, I, like, listen, that's like, that was one of the biggest parts of the, of my process that I'm that I'm now going to integrate on all my projects which is to sort of look for real life examples. Because when you find out a, a story beat that can happen in real life, there's proof of it happening. There's an inherent deep, deep logic that is already built in, you know? Whereas if you kind of just make something happen, I mean, because that's the thing about being a writer, right? Since you're basically the God of your own universe, you can make things happen very, very easily. But then when you show it to an audience, they're, they're not with you. But when you pull from real life, uh, that logic is already built in. And then that logic will reveal other things that you can do. I mean, like the amount of setup and payoffs I was able to accumulate because I found a lot of inspiration from YouTube specifically, like was incredible, you know? And I just found myself in the dialogue in little set pieces I could do in like the editing, like um, those are all pulled from like real life examples that I found and it, they just kind of built on, on top of each other. Oh, that's great. And and is that like you're watching when you know you need this stuff? Are you watching these videos? You're writing down notes and then it all sort of makes its way into that outline. Um, I, I think that the the research like I think I had um, the script and I had specific things in the script uh, that were pulled from like YouTube. For, so for example, like he definitely meets his mentor from a YouTube video that he's watched, you know? Um, but little details are accumulated over the entire process, all the way down to the day of the shoot. I don't want to rush you uh, to your next thing. Let's do it. I'm having a great time. This is, I love finally talking about writing, <laughs> which is something that I can actually talk about rather than like, I don't know, basketball, I don't know. 
do you <laughs> has it been a lot of basketball talk um well i mean the, the, one of the questions is like uh i actually never played like high school basketball because i didn't i didn't really start playing until until my senior year which is why i kind of made this movie because i never tried out for the team you know what i'm saying um uh so it's it's a little so i feel like my basketball street cred goes down <laughs> when, when i get asked that question but my writer's street cred i hope is is decently high enough Exactly. You tell them you know how to work a metaphor. That's what you're doing here. <laughs> um, of that said, I do want to ask about like taking on what is essentially a sports movie. Uh, like this presents, and and I don't know, like if you knew you would be directing the entire way through, it feels like that was sort of baked in from the pitch. I'll ask you that first. Uh, was that was that part of the pitch? Was I'm going to write and direct this? Yeah, I mean. Uh, that was part of the blind deal from the very beginning. I, that was that was the deal on the other project that I had. And then, you know, Brad and Richie and, and Lena had my back the whole time. So Disney kind of got the package and was like, you're, you know, you're going to let Jane direct or not, you know, so. Oh, that's great. Um, and but I, I am curious about like taking on shooting the basketball scenes like that feels like shooting an action movie to me and it feels you know I watched some of the shorts that you had done and some of the commercials and like there's there's stuff in there that feels like it prepares you but you can only be so prepared I imagine uh that is a great way to put it because um uh because the basketball scenes were a lot more complicated than I thought and um uh, I mean, there was a lot of scenes in the. I mean, the whole, the whole. <laughs> I'm sure every director says this, but uh, uh, the whole process of shooting this film was like a was just a, a comedy of comedy of errors and sort of like me arriving, me wanting to do a, a really cool shot as the first shot of the day, then being two hours behind, and then then having to like kind of just make up a new shot list. You know, um, I think with the basketball in this. Um, what we tried to do is we I, I didn't want to get too cool with it. I didn't want to get too cool with it because in most of the scenes, you're you're actually Chang observing the basketball. You're not really in there with him, you know, especially that first sequence where, you know, Matt is sort of dominating the court. Um, and uh, and I didn't want to, you know, it is a, it is a sports film, but it's it's not about the technicalities of basketball. You know, especially in the beginning, it's more about uh, Chang's relationship with himself and his and what basketball means to him. And so um, I wanted to make sure when shooting that, that we didn't get too obsessed with like fancy shots or, you know, like crazy camera angles and long takes and stuff like that. It's not really about the beauty of Chang's game, which is really not that developed, actually, you know, um, and towards the end, even like towards the end, the last montage you know, uh, uh, Chang's Rocky montage, a lot of the shots are more about highlighting his face, his joy for the game, his sort of focus, rather than his, you know, technical, um, technical basketball ability. I think that if I were to make, you know, uh, a, a sequel to Chang, shout out Disney, um, where Chang gets a lot better at basketball and he's trying to make like, I don't know, a college team or something like that, then I could, you know, dive in a little bit more to the basketball. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, 
It, and it feels like you always ha- sort of had your eye. Once once it clicked for you, you always had your eye on the personal story here and looking at the world through through Chang. I mean, I don't know that there's a scene without him in it or a scene that that takes place without. There's there's one there. Uh, there's basically only one scene without him. And it's one of the best scenes in the movie. And it's uh, the one with uh, his mom and uh, his coach. Yeah. But. But you're, I mean, aside from that, like I told Bloom, the actor, I'm like, there's really no movie with like an Asian American lead. Um, I say Asian American and not Asian because obviously there's Asian American, Asian films like this, but like um, where he, where he has to just go through so much and be in every scene and dominate. And for him to, for like a, basically a first time feature actor, just, and this is his first leading role to come in and, and crush a studio film like this is, I was just so impressed. Well, I mean, look, it's it's your story too. Like this is your first feature. Uh you crushed it too. I mean, what was the what was the support system? Obviously you had uh Hillman and you had Make Ready who were behind you all the way. And I imagine that went a long way. But like when you're on set, who did you surround yourself with? Because you've got all these kids, you have all these first time feature actors. Like this is a tough thing to undertake. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. There were some days that were really, really hard. Um, You know, a studio film is is not from like a first time creative standpoint, studio film can very easily not feel like a safe space because everyone is there. They have like everyone there is so much more experienced than you. They have 30 years on you. They just came from like, I don't know. Christopher Nolan set, you know what I'm saying? And then now they're talking about Oppenheimer and then you're trying to shoot this little like basketball movie, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then you're, and then, you know, like, I mean, there was a couple of days where I kept putting the playback cart in the wrong place. And I, and I just felt so dumb because they were like, they're like, are you sure you want to put it there? And I'm like, yeah, of course I'm sure. And then of course you would have to get an angle and it would be in the background and I would just feel so dumb, you know? Um, and uh, it can really feel unsafe. I mean, luckily, I had, I had my producers. Um, I had a, I had a line producer, Pam Thur, who was just like a mom to me, and just told me everything I was doing was amazing, and and um, and she was she was incredible as well. Uh, it's really rare to find a line producer like that, you know, because a lot of times the line producer is working for the studio. Um, you know, my AD supporting my heads of department were were very, very supportive of me. I had an amazing acting coach who was basically just on set to make everyone feel really safe. Noel Gentile. She actually worked on another basketball movie right before mine, Hustle. Um, and uh, and she just like sort of kept me focused in on the story and the heart of the story. And um, and yeah, and like um and if I didn't have those people, man, it would it, it would have been very easily to get lost because, you know, our first three days were extremely chaotic. I lost the, you know, the second actress that we cast for for Chen on day one, um, on which blew up our schedule. So on day two, we were shooting basketball scenes that we weren't we weren't ready to shoot. We didn't have all the equipment that we needed. Um, yeah, I mean, like uh, I'll, if you want to hear a little bit about it, like uh, the reason why we shot on the East Coast was because, you know, I grew up in New Jersey and like the changing of the seasons was huge to like me feeling like I was growing up, you know what I mean? And like, I wanted to capture, you know, as Chang is going through his journey, the leaves changing and the seasons changing and, you know, transformation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And so we had, we had planned this very, very carefully. We spent weeks 
planning all of this so that we would shoot the basketball sequences at the right time, the montage sequences at the right time. We got this beautiful court that was perfect, picturesque. And then on day one, something happens. We have to recast. Uh, and because of the recast, the schedule has to change. The only thing we can move up is the basketball stuff. And at that time, none of the leaves had changed color. You know, so like to a first time filmmaker, that's devastating. Like you're, you know, like all these things that that you're like, oh my God, this is going to affect the audience so much and it's going to be beautiful. And and it just gets thrown out the window, you know? And then, and then on day three, we got shut down because of COVID in the middle of a basketball sequence. So we had to split those, uh, you know, the first time they play AAU with Matt dominating the game, like we had to split those into multiple days because we got shut down in the midst of shooting day one. So, I mean, when that stuff happens to you, like as a first time filmmaker, you really feel, you really feel like you just have no control over it and, and you're doing it all wrong and stuff like that. Um, uh, but uh, I do have to say like, the thing that helped me was like actually, <laughs> Um, uh, is actually just going back to my hotel, all depressed, and then uh, just reading my script again. You know? Really? Yeah, reading my script because I was like, "What would what would Chang do? What would you know? What I mean, and uh, and just finding inspiration in the character because you know the whole his talent is just not giving up, and um, I just had to remind myself that like if I really believed in this story and I really believed in this character, that I needed to show up for set the next day. Well, that's that's incredibly sweet and and I love to hear that um because it feels like you had a confidence in your writing that you had to sort of discover in the directing like are you generally a confident writer I think that like because the last five years I've spent a lot more time uh in the pages and just trying to discover what works and um I do feel like I've uh I I've unlocked sort of like my voice in writing you know, because it is an expression of like, it's a combination of like what you want to say and also your technical ability and then meshing those two together and, and just being, just knowing who you are, you know, like on, on a basketball court, it's like realizing that you're a shooter and not like a, a rebounder or a defensive, you know what I'm saying? Or like being okay with being a defensive player, if that's what you're good at, you know, um, everyone starts out wanting to be LeBron James uh, and some people get to be LeBron James, but not everyone, you know, to use the basketball metaphor. Um, and so I, I think I just knew myself as a writer a lot more than a director. And 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 with this film, you know, uh, and this is why a lot of studios don't want to hire first time directors. Um, you know, it, it, it ultimately, no matter how much I try not to believe this, it was me experimenting with what works and what doesn't work. You know, yeah, you're finding your voice in that medium, which like, look, writing you can do for free, right? Like writing, you don't need any tools but a paper and pen. Um, but for directing, like there's gotta be some money behind it. Um, yeah. And, unfortunately, yeah. Like, it's a hard thing to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I feel extremely, extremely privileged. I mean, it's, you know, I would recommend to any like first time director, like it's probably better to <laughs> to start with an indie film where you're surrounded by like, a very safe crew that you know very well. Um, uh, because when you're shooting a studio film and you don't really know, if the angles you're getting and the stuff you're getting is good, it's scary because, you know, they're spending minimum 300,000, a union project I learned on the, in New York is like $300,000 a day, like minimum. You could be shooting like just a simple dialogue scene of two people, but like, that's just how much it costs. And so to, to have that expenditure, it's crazy, you know, to be responsible for that and to, you know, and to have studio executives watch your dailies at night and comment on, you know what I mean? Like, 
it's uh it can be a very you know you know daunting thing um yeah absolutely i i imagine though you know you've you've made a good movie do you come out the other side feeling more confident about the next one feeling like you've learned so much about what you need to learn in this first experience you know i i do feel i do feel a lot more confident um i do think that i still have the butterflies thinking about the next project because uh, yeah, because you don't want to repeat yourself. And then if you're not repeating yourself, then you're going to have to do something new, which means that you're going to have to like go through the, you know, uncertainty again, you know, like, uh, I'm thinking about a project now that kind of, uh, doesn't have the strong central protagonist. It's, it's split between five and I don't really know how to do that as a writer. Um, and so like, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to experiment and figure that out again. And then if I get to direct that film, uh, I'll have to figure out how to weave those things t- together again to pr- provide sort of like the narrative clarity that this film really del- delivers on and the audience really enjoys. Yeah, that's great though. I'm I'm glad to hear that, you know, you're stretching, you're trying to new things, you're you're giving yourself new challenges. Um, let's let's wrap up there. Uh Chank and Dunk is on Disney Plus right now. Go watch it. Um Jing, we'll we'll wrap up as we always do by asking what you are watching on television these days. Uh, what movies have you seen? What's getting you excited or inspired lately? Wow. So um, the TV show that uh, really inspired me recently was White Lotus. I think White Lotus is uh, is incredible in sort of highlighting little conversations and, and feelings that I've had and never thought that you could organize that into a TV show. So I love that. Um, and then I actually recently watched a Belgian film called Close, about um, a very intimate relationship between two young boys that kind of kind of gets interrupted by something very small at school. And that that film really, really struck me um, and really taught me a lot about how, you know, it can go even smaller. Even the smaller things really affect us as people and, and can have profound impact over time. And th- that film really sort of highlighted that. And the, the kid that plays the main character, I, it's one of the best performances I've ever seen in my entire life. So if you're looking for something like different that hasn't really been talked, I mean, it was nominated for an Oscar, but that film's incredible. Yeah, I've heard great things. Uh, I'll have to check it out. Uh, these are good recs. Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, congrats yeah, on the movie. So We're excited for more from you. This is an amazing conversation. Thank you so much.